0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Well, we are um, next Sunday morning heading into a series called Celebrate Good Times. And we're going to be looking at some celebrations in the Bible that uh, occurred and, and in the New Testament and, and really pull the, the lessons out of those and really go deep into those and have a look at why they could, what made them work, why they um, worked and, and, and how we can apply them to our own lives. But this morning I want to give a preface to that series. So we're not starting the series early because we told you it would start next week, but we are having a preface to the series this morning. And so uh, this morning, a preface to celebrate good times. And, um, and I wonder if you're a fan of celebrations. Yes, up in the back, I'm with you. And I love a good celebration. I do find that, uh, that a celebration has more expectation attached to it and so has more of a chance of failing than any other day of the week. Am I right? And I've coined a term and I would like you to spread it so that we find it in the Webster's Dictionary by 2020 and it's called a fail okay? <laughs> it's where a celebration has failed and it's now a fail and, um, and you all know failabration, a celebration, a celebration where like there's this beautiful wedding but then the father of the bride or maybe the grandfather of the bride gets up and just talks about his own achievements the whole time. Or maybe you go to a funeral and, and the eulogy is this, you know, meant to honour the deceased but the deceased actually doesn't get a mention. Or maybe you've been to an anniversary and it's clear that that couple of 75 years married just fought the whole time into the celebration. Or is that just every Sunday on the way to church no, okay. Masks on, people. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Praise the Lord. And uh, um, so, so these fail-abrations tend to happen and, and, and we're heading into the festive season. So we need to get this preface right because we can get all the other ingredients right and find out these amazing things of why Jesus had these celebrations and how they were unlike any other celebrations that had gone before them. We can have all that right. But unless we get this part right, we will set ourselves up for a fail-abration. So, I've already asked you if you like celebration. Who is a fan of Christmas? Is there anyone a fan of Christmas? Love Christmas. And, and you know, I've been had massive Christmas tree envy as everyone's been posting their Christmas trees online because I haven't been able to break this mindset that a Christmas tree goes up on December 1st and comes down on January 1st. Yeah, yeah, so there's a lot of people with me and and, and I'm, I'm with you very begrudgingly and, and it's kind of, you know, a hang up from my childhood. But as I was preparing this, I realised that we only did that because they were real trees. We went out to the pine paddock. We cut a tree down. We got that back in and realised there was no way that was going to fit inside the house. So we chopped the top off and then we put it up. And, and 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 so we had to go first to first because it was going to die otherwise and drop pine needles everywhere. So I'm like, I'm set free from that tradition. No more. And I thought this weekend on Saturday, I'm going to set up my tree only to realise that this Saturday is the 1st of December. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. All right, well, Jesus, fine. You obviously have a plan and a purpose for my first and first tradition. That's where you attribute way too much to the plan and purpose of God. So I, I love Christmas, but Christmas has more chance of being a celebration than any other celebration I know. You've got the person that comes and doesn't bring anything and then doesn't do anything either. They, they, they show up and uh, they're not going to bring anything to the table and they're also going to sit at the table while everyone else is washing and wiping up. Um, don't nudge the person next to you if it's them, okay? Um, the, you've got the person who, they're just going to dominate the conversation. It doesn't matter who steers it wherever. It's getting steered back to wherever they want it. And the whole Christmas lunch is going to be spent listening to that person. Don't, again, just like eyes forward, forward, And forward. Uh, and then you've got the person who's like the Christmas boss, and I've got to admit, I think I'm this person. They're like, you can be a kitchen hand, but don't you come and take over my kitchen. If we're going to do the kitchen, we're going to do the kitchen my way. And and we're going to have the table setting my way, and and they might be referred to as the Christmas Nazi. But you might have those strong personalities in your family, but you also just might have where you've had some kind of conversation with someone, and you haven't yet had that follow-up conversation just yet. And so they're coming and what are we going to do here? Are we just going to pretend that it never happened in the first place, or are we going to uh, be passive aggressive or are we just going to blow up over the turkey and um, And so there's all these kind of things that are going on. and so today I want us to look at the the ingredient to a celebration that unless we get that, it it's just going to be awful. <laughs> So we're going to go to the New Testament in the next week and in the coming weeks. But this morning I want us to go to the Old Testament. And in Leviticus chapter 23, there are seven feasts outlined by God to Moses. And we've got a graphic on the screen. We're going to throw that up. Um, the, there's there's seven feasts that have been installed, instituted into Mosaic covenant into the into the law. And so the first one is, and you'll be familiar probably most with that, is the Passover feast. And that's a remembrance of when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They're in slavery for 400 years and the Lord delivered them out of slavery and they were set free. That's the Passover feast. So all these feasts are to remember the things that God has done and to keep him forefront in the people's minds. And so the Passover feast happens first, and, and um, there's a part of the Passover feast that was added to later called the Talanit Bechorim, and, uh, and that was added to by a rabbi who, who said, you know what, well all the firstborn, there was a plague that swept through and all the firstborn were killed, so every firstborn that was saved being killed, um, they just need to fast for the 24 hours Before Passover happens. Who knows that that was a younger brother rabbi that came up with that idea. He's like, you're firstborn, I've lived in your shadow for too long. Well, the firstborns need to fast before Passover. Great idea. And uh, there's always a person who gets a raw deal in a celebration. But the night that the Passover finished, then they move on to the feast of the unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread was to signify and to help them remember that they were always to remain separate from the nations that they went out into. They were always to be influencers rather than influenced by the nations that they were going into. Into. That was to help them remember, how hey, you've been set apart for a purpose. Make sure you influence those around you. Now, they didn't. It didn't happen. They forgot. But that was the purpose of that feast. Number three was the Sunday after that festival of the feast of the unleavened bread, and it was the feast of the first fruits. It was when the first harvest just first sprung up, and that first um, crop came, the little crop. And what would happen? They'd they'd get that together and they'd take it to the priest. They they would wave it before the priest. They'd lift it high and they'd place it in the hands of the priest. And that was the feast of the first fruits. Feast of the first fruits. And um. Actually, that's what we celebrate as Easter. Uh, You know, Jesus is the first fruits of all who would rise again. And we will rise again, but Jesus was the first one. So kind of what happened was that the Christians took the feast of the first fruits and they took the the Babylonian pagan um, celebration of the goddess Ishtar and made Easter out of that, so it was a celebration of new life. We were like, "Don't know what you've got, Babylonian goddess Ishtar, but we've got a God who made the heaven and earth, who created everything, who set us right with Him, and has risen again, and is also going to rise us again, and has given us an eternal hope." So we're going to celebrate Him rather than you, if that's okay with you. And so that's what we call Easter, the feast of the first fruits. Fifty days after the feast of the first fruits. <laughs> really sorry, front row about the feast of the first fruits. <laughs> Um, but is the Feast of Pentecost. And uh, the Feast of Pentecost happened 50 days after. You see, Pentecost wasn't named after us Pentecostals. We were named after it. It was happening long before there was any pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon all men, young and old, male and female. And this Feast of Pentecost happened 50 days after, Pentecost meaning 50. And it's just amazing that Jesus, who rose again, the first fruits, that they waited 50 days and then the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, there's so many types and, and shadows and principles in this. It's, it's incredible. But then a long time after, you can see, we've got Pentecost. And then months later is the Feast of Trumpets. And this trumpet feast was to celebrate the covenant that God made with Moses where they had the ram's horn at the Mount Sinai and blew it. And, um, and, and that was the Feast of Trumpets. And in the Feast of Trumpets, they would blow trumpets and people would come from everywhere. If there were two men in a field and one was working, one was a Jew and another one wasn't, they'd blow the trumpets. One man would be left behind as the Jew went out of the field and went and celebrated at the Feast of Trumpets. Again, it's just a type of what is to come. And then after that was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which is celebrated everywhere uh, by Jews still. And Leviticus 16 outlines the ritual of Yom Kippur. And chapter 23 mentions it, but we're going to look a bit more at that today. The seventh and final feast was the Feast of Tabernacles. And that was where they celebrated God making them a shelter in the desert called Booths. And devout Jews still today will build a lean-to outside their house, a little shanty outside their house. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, they'll go and pray into it and remember that God kept them and gave them shelter in the desert. Now we see Hanukkah there and there's also um, a bunch of bar mitzvahs and and the festival of Purim, all that which were added later. But these were the seven feasts instituted by God. And and right there, number six feast is Yom Kippur. And I want us to look a little bit at that today. Now, if you want to know a detailed, amazing, in-depth teaching on Yom Kippur, I suggest you go to our podcast channel, go back to March and go to Shane Willard in the PM service, he preached on Yom Kippur and it was phenomenal. And, uh, but I just want to pull one thing out of it today, so um, I'm not going to go into that kind of depth with it because he, I can't do it like he didn't. Um, so Yom Kippur, day of atonement, it's where sin was atoned for. It's where sin was repatriated, where it was recompensed, where payment was made for sin. Now, it's a bit of an odd ritual for us today, but it's actually revolutionary in its day. If you're a fan of any kind of historical um, TV series or, or anything that goes back a fair way, so say the Caesars or say the Vikings or something like that, you'll recognize that what's pretty common is sacrifice. Uh, if they're going into battle, you'll see them. I'm glad that um, Ruth Kramer isn't here this morning because you'll see them kill a horse and, um, and, and they'll, they'll paint themselves with the blood of that horse if they're going into a battle or more grossly, they'll drink the blood. But uh, what the bigger battle that they wanted to win, the more success that they wanted to have, the greater the sacrifice they would make. And uh, they, would, they would give what was most dear to them all the way to at times giving their own flesh and blood to their gods, sacrificing them to their gods. And so here comes God a different God to any that anyone has ever known around them and says, no, 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 stop. There's one day of atonement every year and I'm going to give you a ritual that shows you how to pay for your sins and then we're done, okay, until next year. Don't keep sacrificing time after time to me. This was revolutionary. The nations around them would have thought, what, like you're stopping there, that won't be enough. And they're saying, yeah, God says that that's enough. And so what would happen was that the, the priest would go in, this is, you know, thousands of years ago, and he would atone for his own sins with, the, with a bull and the sins of his household. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies having atoned for his own sins. And then he would get two goats. He was instructed to get two goats. They were supposed to be like in weight and size and both male goats. And, um, and I understand that for us, we're like animal, animal cruelty, call it RSPCA, but, but back then this was nothing. And so they get the two goats and and what they did was cast lots. So they'd have a stone and on one was written for the Lord and on the other one was written Azazel. So they'd shake the bag, stand in front of a goat, pull out a stone. If it said for the Lord, then that was the goat that was going to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. If it was Azazel, that was the scapegoat. That's where we get the scapegoat from. It was to, to be released. for. It was to be all the sins of the people put on that goat. So... I want you to imagine this. Here's all the people of Israel in front of these steps of a temple or in front of a tent. And and there's these two goats and one has just been killed. And that is payment for my sins. And then onto the other goat, the high priest puts his hand on it and presses down on it and begins to confess the sins of the whole nation. I I don't know how that looked, if it was like, God, please... Uh, forgive we confess that Eli slept with his neighbor's wife and Lord Abimelech um, stole his neighbor's cow and and Esther thought the wrong thing yesterday I don't know how, how much detail they went into it or how long that took maybe it was just general maybe it was God we have sinned we have sinned in mind we have sinned in thought we have sinned in our hearts we have sinned in deed I don't know how general or how narrow it was but I just want you to imagine you see what would happen is that every time the name God was mentioned, everyone would just fall down on their face. They'd just voluntarily just get down on their face before God and they would worship God. Their thing was, God is so holy. I think we've lost a little bit of this in our modern day. God is so holy that when His name is mentioned, we will go on our face before Him and we will worship Him. And this was the fourth time that God, the name God, Jehovah, was mentioned. They'd fall on their face and they'd worship Him. And, and then they'd watch... The sins being confessed over this goat. And then the goat would be let out into the wilderness and let go, never to return again. In fact, they wanted to make sure that it never returned again and so later on they started pushing it off a cliff. And uh, (laughs) I don't know how to come back from that, but these two goats paid for and took away the sins of the world, sins of the gathering. Okay, hold that, Yom Kippur. Jonah, Jonah and the whale. Preached on Jonah last Sunday night and about how the fact or non-fact or whatever of whether it was literal or figurative, surviving in a whale belly for, or fish belly, great fish belly for three days, irrelevant. The whole story is about forgiving your enemies and actually being able to allow the grace of God be extended to your enemies and not just to yourself. Now, the interesting thing about that is, is that every year after Yom Kippur, the Jews read out the book of Jonah, the whole book of Jonah, they read it together. So after they've just watched their sins, the sins of their people, the sins of everyone around them be let go, then they read the book of Jonah and about how you can hold on to bitterness and resentment about the people that have hurt you the most. Okay, Jonah, Yom Kippur, let's fast forward to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 43. And he's, here he is on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee between Capernaum and Gen- Genesaret, And he's there preaching <coughs> to the masses. And he's covering all sorts of subjects. And he's saying to them, you've heard that it was said this, but now I'm going to tell you something different. And he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, hate your enemy was added. It was never in there from the Old Testament, it was only ever love your neighbour. But humans being humans, what they did was they drew up lines of who is your neighbour and went, well, we'll love those, but anyone outside of that we won't love and, in fact, we'll hate them. So they added to the love your neighbour commandment and added hate your enemy. (coughs) Whoa. And so, don't know. Okay, and hate your enemy. And he says, but I tell you. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Jesus, he, he kind of just blew out of it. Thank you so much, Peck. Every week I say no and every week I end up in a coughing fit. <clears throat> I don't know what to tell you to do when I do that. <clears throat> if you have a bottle of water, drink it now. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Jesus blew that out of the water because he said that when he was asked, who is your neighbor, he referred to the Samaritan The people that the Jews hated and would not associate with. And he said, that person's a neighbour to you. So whose neighbour are you being? He said in the story, that person was a neighbour. Whose neighbour are you being? He was saying, there's no limit to who your neighbour is. We're not to draw lines around that. We're to see humanity, the whole world as our neighbour. So he says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, when I think persecute, I think of the people who think that I'm dumb because I'm a Christian. I think of people who kind of go, oh, she's checked her brain at the door because she believes in Jesus. And I think, oh, I'm so persecuted. And, and I hate being persecuted. He's talking to people that are oppressed, like layers of oppression by Greeks, by Romans. They've got layers of oppression. And he's talking to people who were nothing, who were the scum of the place that they lived that was their holy nation. He, he's like, the, the, these people are persecuted. And he's saying, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Listen to this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? You see, we have this gravitational pull towards those that we like and are like. And we have this magnetic repulsion against those who don't like us. Who wants to be around people that don't like them? Not me. But Jesus' instruction here is don't let those that you click with become the click that then is exclusionist and forces other people outside of that. And you know if you're in a big family that there's certain siblings that click better than others and maybe sometimes you've felt on the outer. You know that in your workplace <clears throat> there's some people that just click and maybe you felt on the outer. And you know, this isn't just out there, this is in here as well. Churches have people that click with each other, but God's saying, if you love only those who love you, aren't you just like everybody else? And haven't I called you to something better and to something higher than that? You know, the bigger a church gets, the often more this is felt because there's more people to be able to click with. When you've got a little church, you just have to get along. (laughs) There's no one else to talk to. But you know what, it's not true because it might be just what's showing on the outside and really it's a measure of our heart that is the true, the true measure. So Jesus is saying, well, love all those who persecute you, pray for them, love your enemies. If they hate you, love them anyway. And I wonder this morning how that makes you feel. Do you get like a bit of an unease in you? Like, well, if I'm supposed to love people who hate me, who's going to make that Right. And, 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 and aren't I just a walkover if, if I only love those who hate me? Well, let's go to the verses just preceding this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. And this is Jesus again. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. He's saying, you've heard it was said, get your own back. If they hurt you, you hurt them back. If they say something about you, you spread whatever you want about them because they're not worth it. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I'm like, wow. And as I've read that across the years, I've always thought, Jesus, you're asking me to be more of a walkover that I'm, I actually know is possible. Like, can I actually allow people to walk over me that much that if someone hits me, I'm just going to turn the other cheek? If someone wants to take my jacket that I've got to, supposed to give them my shirt as well? If someone wants me to go one mile, that I'm just supposed to like go along too? But I was was wrong and and I was researching that passage and and it's amazing. It's actually the most like non-violent resistance kind of movement that Jesus was starting right there. It is absolutely phenomenal. You see, when Jesus said that, People used to get struck all the time, especially the Jews. They were the scum. they just get struck all the time. And what Jesus is saying here, you make sure you stand up and you offer them the other cheek. And by offering the other cheek, the other person had to strike with their right hand, which actually meant I treat you as my equal. You only hit people with your right hand when they were like your sparring partner. You see, those who you hit with a the backhand, they were your lesser, they were your, your scum. Get away from me. You hit your children, your wife back then with, with that hand on that side of the cheek. But when you offered them your other cheek, you're saying, no, no, you want to hit me, you'll hit me as an equal. When, uh, when it says about suing for your cloak, for your tunic, back in the Old Testament, <clears throat> they were instructed, take someone's cloak or tunic as surety for payment, for repayment. So that if they borrowed from you, um, you'd say, okay, well, give me your cloak, and when you pay me back, you can have that back. And so they'd take it, as surety, but the Bible said, the law said, give them back their cloak at night so that they stay warm. And then in the morning, go back and get it again until they pay you back. But you have to give it back to them at night in order for them to not freeze, to, to not be hurt. And so what was happening here when he said, give them your shirt as well, give them your cloak as well, you were exposing that person for the money-hungry, mercenary kind of person they were. If you're standing there shivering and cold and shirtless and that person's holding your cloak and your tunic, everyone can see that that person has no mercy and does not reflect God in any way. You're saying, brother, I'm going to show you for who you are. I'm going to let everyone see you for who you are. I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to be violent against you, but I'll let people see who you really are. The other people that used to oppress them were the Roman soldiers, and by law they were allowed to make them go one mile with them. So they'd say, grab someone, and we see this when Jesus was going to the cross, that they grabbed Simon and put the cross on him and said, Here, carry it for him. But that that happened all the time. The Roman soldiers would just grab any old Jew, any old person that was beneath them and say, Carry my pack. And they were allowed by law to let them carry it one mile. But Jesus says, Hey, when you get to the end of that mile, say, Do you do you want me to carry it another mile? And the Roman soldier is like, what, what do I do here? Because if I, if I say yes, then he's actually held accountable. That's against his regulations. He, by his commanding officer, could get in big trouble. So he can't say yes to that. His only option is to look at the person and go, uh, no, no, no thanks, and to treat him like an equal. It's actually profound and because we're not in that historical context, we kind of miss the point of it. Yes, we, we understand that it's totally non-violent resistance, we get that, but it's actually still resistance. It's us remembering who we are and knowing who we are and standing in who we are and saying, hey, hey, treat me like an equal, but I'm going to love you anyway. The, the progression here in Jesus' sermon is, is, hey, be who you are, know who you are, stand in who you are, but make sure you love them at the same time. So it's not being a walkover. It's because you know who you are that you can do this. So let me bring this all together because we've got Yom Kippur and we've got Jonah and we've got Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here. Let me bring it all together for you. We're heading into the festive season, but also we're heading into the end of the year. And I don't know what your year was like this year. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're mistreated. Or maybe you're misused or just disappointed. Or maybe there's like this dormant hurt from years ago that you've kind of just let simmer underneath the surface and, surface and shut that down over this year, and it's still there. And this morning, I would like us to allow God to minister to us. This is what Rabbi Menachem said about the lots. It says, after all is said and done, implied the lots, you know, the stones that went for the Lord or for the other goat that was a scapegoat. It says, No man is worthy in the eyes of God. We all stand before him with our faults and iniquities, and by all rational criteria should be found lacking in his judgment. We cast our lot with God, confident that he will respond in kind and relate to us in terms of our quintessential bond to him rather than by the existential scales of pro and con. You see, we go, oh." I've kind of done what you thought I should do, Lord, I think this year. So so can you, can you like, stay with me? Or I'm, I've messed up, God, so can you, like, ignore that? Or how do I make recompense for that? And, and his, this rabbi is saying, no, it's the bond that God has with us that makes it work, nothing that we do. Now, he's a rabbi. He's, he's not a Christian. We actually have a greater confidence than that because we've got Jesus who actually is both the goat who was slain for our sins and also the goat that took our sins away. In fact, it says that He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world, that actually anyone who comes to Him, whosoever will, can come and accept what He's done for us. But what I find is that sometimes unless we allow Him to forgive us, we find it so hard to forgive others. So this morning, uh, it's actually a communion Sunday, I'd ask that the host would hand around the bread and the cup just as I finish off this message. We have a greater confidence because we know Jesus. And often the camp that we dwell in is the camp with Jonah where we go, no, 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 the Ninevites were too harsh to me. They... They took my people, they hurt my people, they enslaved my people. Whatever they did was too harsh. And so I'm just going to stay separate from them. And you know what? If someone has hurt you, it's okay to stay separate from them. But it's not okay to allow the worm to eat up whatever shelter we have, like it did with Jonah. In Jonah, the worm ate up the plant that was sheltering him. And sometimes we can allow a worm of bitterness or resentment to eat up whatever shelter we have, the grace of God, the goodness of God, and we allow it to just get on the inside and with our negative talk or our, our judgment, we allow that shelter to be eaten away. And so instead, can we get the kind of grace eyes that Jesus has for us? Ryan, can you just jump up here for a second? I want you to imagine that you're a first century, not first century, a pre-first century Jew, way back when, Yom Kippur. So someone's just mentioned the name of God. So as soon as the name of God's mentioned, we're on our face. And we're worshipping God. We love you, God. You're amazing God. And then we're here, Ryan, and we're looking up at the high priest over there. And one goat has just been killed for our sins. I wow, well, that's the punishment that I deserve, but... God is saying that that's atoning for my sins and then the other goats just had his sin place all the sins of all our nation placed on him over there but the thing is Ryan you've hurt me bad and, and my heart is hurting because of the way that you've hurt me and we're worshipping God together but, but I still feel bad because you're nasty And I don't know how I'm going to cope with that, but hang on, as I look at the goat that just stood for taking my sins and look at it as the other goat that's actually taking away your sins because you're part of my nation and it's taking away your sins. So as we get to our feet, Ryan, I'm just like, brother, how good is it that our sins are washed away? If my sins are washed away and your sins are washed away, I can't hold your sin against me anymore. Go I can have communion. <laughs> Don't punch me again. <laughs> All right, hold the emblems in your hand, the, the bread that represents the broken body of Christ and the cup that represents His blood. You know, these are two, these are two ordinances that Jesus gave us or that were established in the church were to remember Him through this bread bread and through this cup and to be baptised. We had people baptised last week, we had people, we're going to have people baptised tonight in the service. Two things that Jesus passed down to the church and said, make sure you include this as part of your worship. Why? It's the same reason He instilled these feasts, to remember what He's done. And so this morning I want us to not only look at what Jesus has done but acknowledge today, if you could just close your eyes just to block out any distractions you've got the bread that represents his broken body you've got the cup that represents his blood poured out for us this morning, acknowledge that he has let it all go whatever you've done as you come to him in repentance he has let it all go And so this morning, as you hold the bread and as you hold the cup, will you forgive yourself? Will you forgive yourself for what you've done? As you look at the sacrifice that Jesus made and thought you were worth it to go all the way to death, will you forgive yourself this morning? And now as you forgive yourself, Will you forgive your brother? Will you forgive your sister? Will you forgive your fellow men? Will you let that go this morning? That day of atonement was the day that God let it all go. This morning, will you let it all go? We're about to eat and drink in just a moment. But will you set yourself free from what they've done? Will you set yourself free from what you've done? Acknowledging the grace of our Lord Jesus. And will you set yourself free from what they've done? And let this be a day that you let it go. And that in a week's time, when that thing comes up and starts to churn your guts again, would you remind yourself that, no, no, I've let that go. And when it comes in six months, will you remind yourself, no, I've let that go. Being now free Will you refuse the yoke of slavery any longer? And so this morning, as the Holy Spirit quickens that situation to your mind, and you might not need to forgive, maybe you're just disappointed. Maybe you're just a little bit hurt. You don't feel like you need to forgive, but will you let it go anyway? As the Holy Spirit quickens a situation to your mind, as He quickens a person to your mind, as He quickens a scenario to your mind. Will you in faith this morning say, Jesus, I let that go. So I've asked this morning that you would pray after me and then we'll eat and drink together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did to pay for my sins. I receive your forgiveness this morning. Father, I forgive myself this morning. Help me not to pick that back up. Father, I release that person to you this morning. I release that situation and declare that I am free. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au and thanks again for listening.